grateful for your word. In your son's name, amen. Um, psalm 81, short psalm, 16 verses. Not, not a Davidic psalm, a psalm of Asaph, according to the Gitteth, <laughs> to the choir master, according to the Gitteth, a psalm of Asaph. And it's not something spoop special, holy. It's like according to the guitar. That's, it's a musical instrument. It's probably stringed musical instrument. And so they were giving instructions, um, choral instructions, etc. Okay. We've gotten past that little assignation of, or what's the word of it, uh, subtitle. Now, in this psalm, it's got these three sections. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a quick and easy approach to everything that mattered to Israel, you know, basically. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the timbrel, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, or on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. Now that's where he, he's landing. He's basically, he's told you which instrument's going to be played on, and then he's exhorting the singers to uh, really lean into this one, sing aloud, shout for joy, raise a song, blow the trumpet. These are important things. Fanfare. That's all. Those first few verses are just fanfare. And that weird fifth verse, he made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. Suddenly, uh, this is... A, Psalm of Asaph, you're talking 1,000 B.C., um, 450 years after the Exodus. So it's like looking back at, what year is this? 2021, something like that. What's 450 years ago? Do the math, somebody. Simple sub subtraction, I guess. Anybody got a number? What? 450 years from now, 2021? I was just thinking it was like the 1600s someplace. Okay, we're not going to pass the math exams here. Thank you. She has a phone. Um, so 1531, you say? 1571. Who is running around in 1571? You know, you got people like Shakespeare, you know, you know Marlowe, um, maybe Ben Johnson, those sorts of people. 
a while back when people dressed in funny clothes. And, and the, the writer of this psalm, Asaph, is grabbing you and said, this is important, fanfare, load up the guitars, load up all the singers, just get this underway. This is about God going out over the land of Egypt. This is, this is a decree that he wants you to attend to regarding Joseph. Where did Joseph come from? We're, that's centuries ago. Joseph was a long time before Moses. Moses was 450 years earlier. Joseph, even further back, a son of Jacob in Egypt. And it's basically, this is the decree in Joseph. There is a decree in him. And he says something, and that may be I'm reading too much H.P. Lovecraft. I hear a voice I had not known. That's just a, a strange verse. But I want you to remember it because Asaph is, is saying there's this important thing that we're, we're again, the, this chorus is really leaning into that has to do with Joseph in Egypt. And it comes to him like a voice that he doesn't recognize. Now, this is a long time ago. This is 3,000 years ago. I can't you know, claim to have Asaph's insights. I don't even know what his emotional framework is. Don't even know what the music sounded like. But I want you to remember, I heard a voice I had not known because in many cases, we as Christians need to have, um, need to have um, something slap us around the head and shoulders to keep us from just hearing the piety of Christianity the same old way. You ever look at something, oh, uh, Yeah, well, there's an old trick you used to put a mirror down the middle of your face or mirror a photograph of you and you look at one side or you look at the other and it doesn't look like you, either one. It's just replicating one side of your face because there's an angry side and there's a nice side. Some of you have two angry sides. But your face is not the same, so you make a symmetrical image of one side. It doesn't quite look like you. Sometimes you're driving into town and it's from Coeur d'Alene and it's late light hitting the Palouse Hills and you've never seen the Palouse like that. You go, okay, I see this all. We were driving back from um, Abby Gray's wedding yesterday, uh, which is out east of town towards where you guys live, I think. I think. Are you out Robinson Lake Road? It was out there someplace, the Shaws. And um, nice, nice wedding. But driving back, it was, you know, 7.30, and the light was strange. The top of Tomer Butte was in a shadow, the top. The bottom was in sunlight. 
Oh, home review, you know. Uh, you have to comment to the spousal unit that you live in beautiful country and you don't always know you live in beautiful country. Sometimes for your, especially with your faith, especially with, with everybody, all the professionals, all the suits, all the bureaucracy, all the historians deciding what you should think of Christianity as to keep you, they think, to keep you faithful to the faith, you really need to hear a voice that you had not known speaking to you the same things you knew. Because this is what, I hear a voice I had not known, goes right into God delivering Israel from Egypt. Old story, old orthodoxy. Because that's what he says, he went out over the land of Egypt. I heard a voice I had not known, then quotes, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Now, basically, that was just the history of the Jews from the time they were pulled out of Egypt to the law. They were carrying burdens for the uh, Egyptians. They called out. God delivered them. He took them to the secret place of thunder, which is sort of like Exodus Oh, 19. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And then it says, I tested you with the waters of Meribah. That's, uh, that was, I just read Exodus 19, Exodus 17. And Moses, they, they, they had this rock that was, they were contending with, Moses about God's care for them and the rock that was called Masa and Meribah, which meant uh, proof, I think, in contention. Christ is em emblemed by the rock that was in the wilderness. Um, but he's saying the old school things. It's like, I heard a voice I had known, I had not known, and step into the Apostles' Creed. I heard a voice that I had not known, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But something about the other voice, the other way of saying it. Frank and I were talking last night about getting people to write, you know, portions of scripture in their own words, sort of paraphrasing things, and then maybe recording their own paraphrase of the book of Colossians. Not that it, you're inspired, you're not. Not that you do a good job, you probably wouldn't. But just a different voice saying the same thing. This is the story, if you go back into Exodus, you go back to Deuteronomy and the recounting of the Exodus, you get the same story. You get these things, these references that he's pulling out. But he wants you to hear it in 1000 B.C., not in 1447 B.C. 
It's a different voice merely because it's in a psalm of Asaph rather than chapter 20 of Exodus, chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. But you get the same words. Verse 8 here. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign god. Now, what we don't often recognize when something like a voice that I had not known. Remember I mentioned H.P. Lovecraft? I, I bought a copy of Lovecraft, all the collected fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, one volume, and I've been reading through it. Mm, yeah, I don't recommend it. I mean, it's, you know, sort of po uh, post-Edgar Allan Poe, florid prose, the moon is always gibbous, the gibbous moon. Why? But the strange gods, the horrors of the deep, things past our accounting, the madness of man as you get faced with, and we sometimes, I hear a voice I had not known, and actually says the same thing you learned in Sunday school. I got led up to the land of Egypt. We defeated the gods of Egypt. Uh, you guys were difficult. I spoke to you in thunder, blah, 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 blah. They all learned this stuff. And that's the first thing, you know, I think I have it uh, on Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 here on the left-hand side. Hear, O Israel, just that phrasing, hear, O my people. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, we should be conscious of this because when Christ is asked, what's the greatest commandment? That's the greatest commandment. I want to remind you, that being the greatest commandment is not one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not greater than the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. And I skipped down. There was a bunch of text. I, you always have a hard time cutting out text, but you have to for space. Verse 10 says in Deuteronomy 6, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and goodly cities, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and cisterns hewn out, which you did not hew, and vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take heed, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the peoples who are round about you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. That's the same reference back in verse 7, the waters of Meribah. Same place, Massa and Meribah. It's around to the same issues. The same issues are always in front of us. Now, you don't want to just say strangeness when I say hear the voice I had not known 
and the strange dark elder gods coming up from the deep in Cthulhu is going to, you know, blast your mind in some sort of horrific way. We need to see that which has been revealed to us already as a voice that we had not heard before. In some ways, we're suckers for strangeness. We should not go down to any strange gods. There shall be no strange god among you. Foreign is always really, you know, why is it? Say there was a mountain near, near Idaho someplace. And on the top of that mountain was a, a small trailer. Maybe built in 1965, towed up there in 1970. And the guy who owned it still lived there, wearing suspenders, an old Evil Knievel t-shirt. And if he'd been down to town in recent years, he would have gotten a MAGA hat. He sat up on top of the mountain and thought great thoughts. Just not quite cool, strange, or foreign enough. Because you will believe some hill ape in Nepal sitting on top of the mountain cross-legged in a robe of saffron. Thinking stupid. No evil Knievel shirt. Because we somehow think that the strangeness is the truthness. We're not saying the strangeness, that if I feel the strangeness of God's voice, I will feel the truthness. I need to hear it so that I will hear it. Not that it will, you know, placate some emotion in me, some sublimity that wants to react to God like he, you know, when somebody's singing, and no offense to anybody who's gone to other churches, that God is an awesome God. You know, I don't know what the song is, but they say it. Strumming loudly. Hand in the air. Meaning anything but awesome. We want awesomeness. We want to feel our God is awesome. We want to feel that he can compete with Cthulhu. And some of you are going, who the heck is Cthulhu? Okay. just It's out there. Hear his voice. What he had done for the people of Israel. What he had done to them through Joseph. Now what's interesting about this psalm, and you don't notice this in the English quite so well. He says, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to foreign, uh, foreign God. Then he says, verse 10, I am the Lord your God. And at that point, you look back over the psalm, his name has not been mentioned. Asaph lands on you with one of the big elements of God's announcement at Egypt. No one knew the name of our God before Moses. The burning bush, God tells Moses what his name is and tells him that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know him by this name. This is the first, that was the first time in history the name of God was known, as far as we're aware. And he does the same in the psalm by saying just God this, God that, but it's not the name of God. Then he says, I am the Lord your God, 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I put it in red. I wanted to put the name of God there. I just said, I am Yahweh, your God. That, the, the, the crescendo of the song is in that moment. This is a voice that you had not heard saying things that you had heard in an immediate, demanding, attentive, uh, expectant way, admonishing us. He says that in verse 8, I'll admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Don't go after the strangeness for strangeness sake. Go after what you know to be true, but get yourself to listen to it as if a different voice was saying it, like someone with a different accent. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 20, which is up there on the left-hand side. This parts of the scripture every Jew had memorized. It's the chapter of the Ten Commandments. The Lord God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And given that he doesn't get off this hobby horse often, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the lesson we have is not merely what is your emotional hermeneutic. How do I sit down in front of the scriptures and the truths of the Christian life I know and hear it in a voice I have not heard. Listen to it. I don't want to leave out that that story the Jews were facing, they were called out of a pagan nation, they were worshiping other gods in Egypt, they took their other gods with them. They had to be told to leave them behind at various points. Joshua, 40 years later, has to say, hey, you got to choose this day whom you will serve as whether you serve the gods that your fathers worshipped beyond the river or from Egypt. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. People were making choices all the time about the strange gods. When Jack Jacob went up to, what is it? Not Horeb, uh, Hebron? No, maybe up to Shechem. He buried, buried his household gods at a certain tree. Idolatry was pretty present, and God was trying to get just regular Joe, ancient pagan, to quit being an idolater and worship the one true God. You don't worship any other gods. It is said in the Deuteronomy passage, for he is a jealous God. What, you need, what we need to learn is what we're hearing is not merely, hey, our, I'm hearing these new Christian things fresh in a voice I had not known. I need to listen to it, and he says to me, you shall have no strange God among you. Don't fall back on your theology at a moment like that, because theologically, I'm a monotheist. Of course, I do not have any strange gods before me. And you look in your, into your, uh, your man cave or your she shed. Is that what they call it? 
the she shed, the man cave, and you don't see any idols of Buddha in there. You don't see any idols of anything where you have a little votive, votive candle you light every morning and place a bowl of rice in front of the God you serve. So you think to yourself, I'm not violating this. I do not have any strange gods among you. Now, the reason we have strange gods, we need to listen to this because every, I go on about this pretty regularly, but verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. He said that if you would but listen to me, back in verse 8, if you would just listen, a strange voice coming to you and telling you the same things, the great things that you've heard for hundreds of years that your God did in the wilderness at Sinai to Moses to everything else. I have done great things for you, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would have none of me. That's what our option is in not listening. That's what happens when our listening becomes dead. We think we're listening, but we've just got that Christian glaze over our eyes that, well, I went to church today. What was the sermon about? Ah, just a second. What was it? Oh, should have taken some notes. And it's not like you were playing Scrabble on your tablet, which has been known to happen. And it's not that you were sleeping. And you don't want to be in the kind of church that looks like it's doing homework. You know, everybody's writing down everything the pastor says in some cult. But do you have a cult of your own? Israel would have none of me. They had lived through this. This is 1,000 B.C. David is king of Israel. A couple hundred years earlier, they were being drawn out of the land of Egypt. God was working in things, and he reminds them quickly of the decree in Joseph and how he went out over the land of Egypt and what he did to Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will lift, fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would have none of me. If we do not hear, we do not listen, whatever device you might choose to pick up to get at this, whether you use a more modern translation, a paraphrase, a way of meditating on the word of God in your own time that you're saying, what is a different voice I would hear this from? We are tempted to have all of the theology, all of the claims and forget it, don't listen to it, and really, what do, you, what do you really want Bible stories for? So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Sounds like Romans, doesn't it? They did not honor him as God or give him thanks. He gave them up to the futility of their minds. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. It, it wasn't he gave them over to the false gods. False gods is just symptomatic. St. Paul says a couple of times, I mentioned this quite a bit, a couple of times in his letters that covetousness, which is idolatry. People are idolaters because idols are the function of their own self. 
They are how I reward myself with what the gods can provide. I find a god that I will serve, Mithras, Kibbele, whatever it is, and I go to the temple regularly and I do the things so that the god can be petitioned to fulfill my wants. Because Asaph knows that in not listening to God, it's not that we're listening to Apollo or Baal. It's not that the other gods are a problem. God's other gods are a problem in you for a reason you might not suspect. The reason is you like you. You like yourself and your own conclusions too much. That's what you're given up to when you don't listen. Your stubborn hearts, your own counsels. Now, our gods um, are really placeholders. The modern man, we've we got to kind of, in the state of the age, the zeitgeist, whatever it is, we didn't have a halfway house of disguise called false religion, idolatry. We just went right to our own councils the way we want it. We are each the god of our system in a modern minds. They, you don't have to prove that a god said anything that you're about. It's just you. You, because you're you, get to be right because you're you. You get to have what you want because you're you. You get to be affirmed because you're you. Everything is that you would hear what you want, not hear what you need. We'd like to have good come to us in a voice we know. Preferably your very own voice. My mother. Trusting the Lord for supply over the years. She would always have, she'd ask God to help with a situation. And, and then she'd have a plan of how God was going to do it. You know, it was it was going to match Bessie Wilson's level of expectation. Now, that was a guy reasonably comic and noble. She always used to tell me that that was, yeah, God just never seemed to get a clue that that's the way he should do it. Didn't stop her. She kept on thinking how God was going to answer the prayer. Now, in worse, worse circumstances, we don't know how much we're defining good just by the fact that it's the way we as infantile human beings want it to be. If only I had this, if only I had that. And we can dress it up various ways. Some dress it up in idolatry, some dress it up in Christian piety. You might just dress it up in a, you know, well, any reasonable person would expect this. If we're listening to God, it says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. We forget that God is trying to do a good to you that is not made by you. You are not the designer of the good that you get from our God. You get a good from our God. He decides what it's going to be. He knows far away more than any committee we could put together 
what would be best for man. In some ways, hearing a voice that you haven't known is a better way to hear of the good. A little bit surprised by it. We know the voice too well that announces how well it should be, or how, how good it should be for you. If we listen to him, verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him. It sort of reminds me of the James passage. Even the demons believe and shudder. We all know that those who turn aside and not listen to his voice, who would have none of him follow your own counsels. You can run, but you can't hide. You can't, you can't stop the inevitable about the God. This is one thing our Lord shares with Cthulhu. When it comes to the end, we will not be able to run. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. That doesn't even say what the fate is, but it sounds bad. Their fate would last forever. Verse 16, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Now, I got no categories for that. Honey from the rock? Wheat? Doesn't it just show up in bread? You know, People with gluten intolerance have a hard time with this. But it says something really good. To the ancient mind, great wheat, honey, man. I suppose you get the closest to it when somebody who makes good biscuits makes good biscuits, and they come out of the oven steaming hot with butter on them, and then somebody hands you a little plastic bunny, or what is it called? Bear? Honey bear. You squirt. And then by the time you're done, your kids are covered with uh, poo-like uh, stickiness. Winnie the Pooh, not the other kind of poo. <laughs> it's, it's almost like wallowing in debauched pleasures. God wants you to think that his goodness to us, as he would design it, not as I, given my own in-chargedness of my life, my not listening to God, wants to have my own counsel fulfilled, and so I'll have my gods always give me my own counsel. We were talking the other night about guys who decide that so-and-so was the will of God for me. Kind of leverage circumstances. Well, I think, Sheila, I think you're the will of God for me. She's looking at you like, I didn't have that dream. We want our God to be leveraged for our wants. And if our God won't do it, we'll stop listening to him and we'll worship strange gods who will. Who will be interesting to us because they have bizarre temples and they sit on mountains in Nepal, not mountains in Idaho. He wants us to listen. What do you need to do to learn to listen? That's the one thing Frank and I were talking about last night, how do you communicate? How do you communicate spiritual growth? Any churches concerned with that, right? 
We had a great team up here. I had a head mic, a Hawaiian shirt, a stool. I could relate to you. Or what we're doing is, you know, uh, what was this called? Boring. It's got to be right. It's really boring. We can come up with all sorts of ways. We do want to, we, we, we want people to listen to God. What does it take for you to listen to God? The goodness that will come to you at a call from John Parker uh, called me a couple nights ago from Korea, doing well. And we were talking about suffering for, you know, Christian growth. I said, you know, we don't really realize the amount of growth that we can have in not suffering. There's temptations there, too. The temptations to despondency and loss and suffering is one thing. The temptations of the world in not suffering are another. But God is a God who gives abundantly. God is a God who wants your life to be straightened out. He doesn't want people to be treating you wickedly. Doesn't want you to be suffering. Wants to set you free from things. They will happen and you will need to learn from them and count it all joy when you meet various trials. But his intention is he wants to do good to you. Abundantly good. And he's going to do his good to you. Are you ready for his good? Are you listening for what you ought to start recognizing when he sends it your way. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been good to us. We would listen to you and draw close to you and hear you as if you were a voice we hadn't heard yet. Keep us from our own counsel. In your son's name, amen.